If you'll do your biblical history back in, uh, even in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, there were people set aside just to minister to the Lord and also to lead the people into the presence of the Lord with instruments and their voices. And our folks certainly do a great job with it today. Uh, I would ask today, where's Miles at? Wave at us, Miles. He's one of our active fellows in service and He's home this weekend, but he won't be able to be back for about six months. He's being deployed to a very uh, kind of dangerous part of the world. So I ask that you remember today, when you think of today, remember Miles and pray for him uh, as he's headed out. But we speak a Psalm 91 blessing over him. We're going to believe he's going to be okay. Amen? Amen? We realize today that we have uh, many people visiting. That's usually the case on Easter. Some come with families and of course, you have some that leave to go with families elsewhere, but we are glad that you're here, regardless of what your church affiliation is. We have some family here all the way from Round Oak, Georgia. If you don't know where that's at, that's kind of, Adrian would be uptown for Round Oak. That's all I'm going to tell you. Good to have my wife's parents and her brother and our sister-in-law. And it's good to have Jamie and Dustin all the way back from Atlanta. And I would ask Jamie to stand, but... I declare whenever she come walking in today, I remember that old nursery ride song, Weebles Wobble, But They Don't Fall Down. <laughs> she don't like that too, guys. <laughs> Jamie and Marsh is laughing about it. I mean, uh, Dustin and Marsh is laughing about it. Anyway, next week, they fixed to have my gracious life, fixed to have enough bundle of joy in the world. But we're glad they're here. Glad you're all here. And we have just a few minutes to share with you today. And we realize how important today is uh, because truthfully, every person seated here in the building today, it is the Lord's desire that none perish, but that all should have everlasting life. But then the word of God goes on and tells us there are requirements to do that. And we've got to profess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And, uh, and I know some of you probably today have not done that. And so I don't take for granted this opportunity and responsibility I have. And I want you to know, just as Friday night we had a couple of people during the choir cantata come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's my prayer that anybody, amen, go ahead and bless him. But it's my prayer today, if you haven't already made that decision, that you would make it. The Bible even tells us to make our calling and election sure. The Bible tells us to let every man seek out his own soul salvation with fear and trembling. So it's a, it's a very uh, important thing, the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And, uh, and I want you to know that prayers have went up for you today, whoever you are. And my prayer is the Lord will touch you and that you would respond today. And uh, so if you would give me attention for just a few minutes, we realize there are a lot of festivities today. But this is the most important festivity there is today. And so I'm not a, a particularly long-winded preacher, but I do have some important things to share with you today. Our main verse for today is Matthew chapter 21 and verse 10. And this happens whenever Jesus is walking or riding the donkey rather into Jerusalem for what is known as Palm Sunday that we celebrated last week or his triumphant entry. The Bible says, and when he was come into Jerusalem, 
all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Who is this? That's the most important question in all of humanity and all of history. It was asked by the multitude that day, and it is still asked by people today. And this was not the only time that that question was posed by virtually everyone in society during the day of Jesus Christ. We see in Matthew 21 and 10, everybody assembled, the whole crowd, mostly there to worship him, some there to speculate upon him, were asking the question, who is this? It was not only asked that day by the whole crowd, but in Luke 5, 21, it was asked by the religious leaders of the day. The Bible says, and the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this? In Luke 7 and 49, it was asked by the friends of Jesus. And they that said it meet with him, his friends, began to say within themselves, who is this? Not only was it asked by religious leaders and his friends, it was asked by political leaders during his lifetime. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 9, And Herod said, John have I beheaded, but who is this? Speaking of Jesus. It was asked by everyday citizens. In John chapter 12 verse 34, Then the people answered him, Who is this son of man? It was even asked of his own disciples, the, one that, the ones that did and should have known him the best. In Mark chapter 4, verse 41, the Bible says, And they fear exceedingly and said to one another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? But not only was it asked by the crowd of worshipers and the religious leaders and his friends and political rulers and everyday citizens and his disciples, but most importantly, it was asked to us, by Christ himself. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, and I'm reading, and when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he, Jesus, asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say that you are John the Baptist, some you're Elijah or Elias, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But Matthew 16 and 15 but Jesus looked unto them and said, But who do you say that I am? And the question that is asking today, Who do you say that Jesus is? Because that, what you feel in your heart, how you respond with not only your lips, but your will and your spirit, how you respond with your lifestyle, determines really who you say that Jesus is. I want to describe you a, a picture today of who the Word of God helps us know He is. And I'm reading from the book of Revelation. John said, I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His thrones was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. Jesus is more than we can comprehend and for the next few minutes, I want to speak to you on the message today entitled, The Incomparable Jesus. Amen, amen. The Incomparable Jesus. 
Because I'm going to show today, I think he's much more than sometimes we give him credit for being. You see, God had a plan when he established man and called him. And man, as you know, fell in the Garden of Eden because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And that sin nature passed upon all of us. So we needed a Savior, a Redeemer. And the Bible tells us of great patriarchs of faith that did great things for God. But even in the midst of their faith in God, they still were flawed. We see people like Abraham, who was an idol worshiper. Yet when he responded to the call of God, he entered into covenant relationship with God. You would think that would be the end. But after Abram was changed to Abraham, he still doubted God and he still lied about Sarah being his wife. We see others, Noah, who certainly is an example of a covenant relationship with God, for 120 years endured the scorn and ridicule of people because he was building an ark, because something was going to happen that had never happened before. Rain was going to fall down out of the heavens and consume the earth. You would think that Noah had it all figured out, but the Bible lets us know that even after Noah got on the ark, and it came to rest, and he and his family began to replenish the earth, that Noah became a vineyardman. And he got drunk on wine, and he lost his pride. And he was naked before his children, and did shameful acts. So Noah was not the answer. We see later on in Scripture that God would call somebody like Moses. And we think that Moses, though he was a murderer, became a servant of God and would stand before Pharaoh and lead God's people into the promised land. But even after receiving the law on Mount Sinai, even after seeing the hinder parts of God and having the glory of God shine on and on upon his countenance, Moses then in anger struck the rock and missed out in the promised land because Moses couldn't get it done. Samson was a great man and had the power, but he slept with Delilah. He couldn't get it done. David, a great man of faith that had played music to soothe the wicked king. David, this great man that had slew the giant and had accepted the office of being the king of God's people. Yet in the midst of that covenant relationship, David on the rooftop of his house looked at someone else's wife, lusted, committed murder and adultery. David couldn't get it done. It's just like the song says, though it was planned from the beginning of time, when we think about it, just suppose that God searched through all heaven. He certainly couldn't find one on earth willing to be the supreme sacrifice that was needed to buy eternal life for you and me. You see, no man could buy our redemption because man faltered, man sinned, man failed, man was not perfect. So the plan was put in place that Jesus, the Son of God, would come in our behalf. And I can just see him now. This is just Barry speaking now. But in my mind's eye, I can see the angelic choir in heaven. As beautiful as this choir singing this morning reminds me of it. And I can see them as uh, the news begins to spread throughout heaven that the very object of their worship was about to leave them. And I can see them wanting to take off their robes and saying, I don't have a song to sing anymore because the one I'm singing about is fixing to leave me. And Jesus just skips throughout uh, the stars and he uses them as steps and he passes Saturn and he passes Venus. He passes Pluto. He says hello to the moon and he comes to earth and he's wrapped 
in the flesh of the belly of a woman. And then he's birthed. And the night that he's birthed, I can just see those angels starting to put their robes back on and said, oh, I didn't know it was going to happen like this, but I've got a new song to sing. And the heavens break open and they appear to lowly shepherds and they start shouting and I can hear the angelic choir saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And then we don't see a lot about Jesus till age 12. And age 12, his family leaves the hillsides of Nazareth where he was being raised and they go to Jerusalem for one of the feasts on the holy days. And his parents, his earthly father Joseph and Mary his mother, are already traveled a day when they realize that Jesus is not in the company with their family. He stayed back at the temple. And then we see him at age 12 in the temple. We see doctors and theologians and lawyers and judges and priests and rulers looking at him. And I can just see them as they look at him and say, little boy, don't you know this is man's business? What is your name? And I can just see Jesus, this incomparable Jesus. When he looks at him and says, well, on my mother's side, they call me Jesus. But on my father's side, you might want to call me Emmanuel. On my mother's side, I'm the son of Joseph. But on my father's side, I'm the son of a living king. On my mother's side, I'm growing up to be a carpenter. But on my father's side, I'm growing up to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. I can just see one of the priests chiming in and say, son, you're talking mighty big for your age. Just how old are you? And once again, I can hear Jesus say, well, on my mother's side, I'm just 12. But on daddy's side, I'm the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. On my father's side, before Abraham was, I am. On my mother's side, I got some growing up to do. But on my father's side, I always have been and I always will be. I'm talking to you this morning about the incomparable Jesus. Hallelujah. And I can tell somebody else, I can just see them looking at him and say, well, tell us just a little bit about yourself then, son. And I can hear him say, well, on my mother's side, I get a little thirsty. But on my father's side, I am the living water. On my mother's side, I get a little hungry. But on my father's side, I am the manna sent down from heaven. On my mother's side, I helped Joseph build houses. But on my father's side, I came to build a church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. On my mother's side, I get a little weary. But on my father's side, I came to tell Blackville today, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Somebody praise the incomparable Jesus in the house today. We don't read much about him until he began his earthly ministry at age 30. But I got to tell you, he made some people mad. He sure did. The funeral directors didn't like him because he raised the dead back to life. The surgeons didn't like him because when a woman who had spent all she had for 12 years and no doctor made her better just touched the hem of his garment and was made perfectly whole. They didn't have any psychic hotlines in his day 
because all he had to do was walk by Jacob's well and talk to a woman who would go away and say it. No man's been able to do it but come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Amen. The elite of society didn't want anything to do with him because he was the one that would touch the leper. The winemaker sure didn't like him because what it took them years to do with just one word from his mouth, he would turn the water into wine. The politically correct didn't like him because he would walk slap dab through Samaria on his way to Jerusalem. The religious snobs couldn't stand him because he ate with sinners. The intellectually empowered didn't like him because he would call ignorant fishermen to build a church. Those outside the temple didn't understand him because he would say, don't worry, you ain't gotta go to man, I'm gonna become your great high priest. Amen. Amen. Oh, but those, there were those that did like him. You see, Jerry said he's the one that raised my daughter back to life. Mary Magdalene said he's the one that sent the stone throwers away and forgave me of my sin. Bartimaeus would stand up and say he's the one that gave me sight. The widow of name would stand up and say he's the one that gave me back my son. The hungry crowd on the hillside would say he's the one that took a little boy's sack lunch and fed my belly till I was full. I want to tell you something. Some people don't understand him, but I love him today. He's the incomparable Jesus. I've looked all over and I can't find nobody like him. He's a friend that sits closer than a brother. He'll always Always be with me, even to the end of the age. And now we fast forward, and we see him about to die. And he's in Pilate's praetorium, and they're about to scourge him. Brother Dylan, come here just a second, buddy. I want you to get the picture now. They're about to scourge him. Come on. And they're trying to defeat him. They kneel him down, kneel down. They tie him to a whipping post. Uh, and they take a whip. And the Bible lets us know it was a type of whip. It was laced with bits of bone and metal and glass. And every time they'd put it in his back, it would rip open the flesh. Uh, yet they commenced to beat him. And they thought they were doing away with him. We're going to defeat this gospel message. We're going to stop this false messiah. And so they whipped him and they beat him and they beat him and they beat him. But what they didn't know is every time they came down with a lash, he would say, that one's for cancer. That one's for diabetes. That one's for blood pressure. That one's for blinded eyes. That one's for the lame. That one's for the deaf. That one's for the mute. That one's for this sickness. That one's for lupus. Glory to God. That one's for fibromyalgia. And they beat him and they beat him and they beat him. Him, and they beat him, but with every last, the blood flowed and the healing came. Stay right there just a minute. Oh yeah. Maybe you went like this. The first drop, that's for the healing of the nations. That's for the healing of your marriage. That's for the healing of your body. That's for the healing of your finances. That's for the healing of your mind. That's for the healing of your emotions. That's for the healing of your church. Somebody say amen. amen. And what they didn't know as they beat him and they beat him and they beat him and the blood flowed. 
They thought they were stomping out the gospel message. Ah, but what they did not know was as they beat him, one of the drops that flowed in 1974 touched a boy in a hospital that was about to leave this world with spinal meningitis. And one night he went to sleep and he couldn't stand to be touched and his fever was high and the doctor didn't give a lot of hope. But the next day he got up and the reason that's important is because that little boy turned out to be a 51-year-old preacher in Easter 2016 that's telling the Blackville Church of God, hey, that with his stripes, I am here. Hallelujah. Thank you, Dylan. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. What they didn't know is they were fulfilling Scripture. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes. I want everybody got a sickness, lift up your hand right now and say this, with his stripes, I am healed. Now give him praise like you mean it today. Hey, the incomparable Jesus. Well, you may be saying the doctor said this, but I'll tell you, he's a great physician. Don't you know, says the Lord, that I have come to give you life. Without me, there is no life. But through me, you will have eternal life and abundant life, says the Lord. Come unto me and believe me and accept me and I will save you from your sins, says the Lord. Come on, praise him in this house. Praise him in this house. Praise him in this house. I want everybody to stand if you would. I'm not going to be long, I promise you. And they laid him on a tree. (laughs) Oh, they thought that was it. Matter of fact, the kind of death they give him. How many of you know when we get the worst possible pain, we use the word excruciating. That word excruciating comes from the cross. It is a word that dates effectively back, directly back to the pain of the cross. That's what excruciating means. The worst, worst death possible. And they thought whenever they nailed those beams together and they started to nail those hands on the cross that they were doing away. But I can just see Jesus saying, you don't realize what you're doing because you do this. And in the last days, I'm going to raise up a nation And millions are going to be saved and millions more are going to be saved through missionary works. And one of the anthems of praise that they're going to sing if you do this is on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. But I love that old cross. Huh? 
where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. And I can just see him whenever they said, oh, he ain't gonna like this. When you study history, they put the nails right there in his wrist. No bone was broken, the word of God says. And when you read about crucifixion, whenever they would put him and put that cross in a hole in the ground, it would pull and his wrist would immediately become out of socket and it would have pain, unbearable. And so as they're laughing, making fun of him and about to put that cross in the hole, I can just hear him saying, you better not do that. Because uh, I've already said, if I be lifted up from this earth, Woo! And then they laid him in a borrowed tomb. Uh, they thought it would be the end. But it has become the anthem of praise. The cross that they thought would be the end. We see them all over, not, not as a testimony of defeat, but as a testimony of victory. Amen. And as the old song says, because he lives. An empty tomb is there to prove my Savior lives. And I got all kind of notes. I'm just telling you. Oh my, I wanted to share it all, but the Lord lead me differently. But listen, let me tell you. Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior. Waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord. Vainly they watch his bed, Jesus my Savior. Vainly they seal the dead, Jesus my Lord. Cause up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever in my heart to reign. He lives, he lives. He arose, he arose, hallelujah. Christ arose. Now just about 30 seconds ago, when I began to put these notes down, I did so because the Lord spoke to me to share this story. And you regular Blackville folk that are saved know this. But I'm just going to follow the Lord. Because I believe today there's somebody here came in here not fully understanding Jesus. And you're wondering, is he really the one? And the Lord spoke to me to remind you of what happened to me in 1997. I was walking throughout the streets of the old city of Jerusalem. And I, in the old city, there are different parts of the city set up for different religions. There's the Armenian quarter, there's the Jewish quarter, the Christian quarter and the Muslim quarter and the old city of Jerusalem. And the night before, I had been shopping in the old city and I had actually went in to a bazaar there and shopped with a Muslim man who was nice enough, but it was the closing time of the night and I was walking down those narrow streets right above, they say, the archaeologists had discovered it's only three feet above the city streets during Jesus' time, walking the very place where Jesus walked. And I was singing a song, and if you know anything about the language, the Jewish language, 
though it's different, is very akin to uh, the language that the Muslims use. It's very akin to Arabic. And a lot of times Jews can understand Arabic and Arabic can understand Hebrew. And so though this man spoke great English like most of them do over there, this Muslim shop owner's native tongue was Arabic and he certainly understood Hebrew. And so I was walking through and I was singing a song I had just learned that had some Hebrew in it. It was about Jesus the Messiah. There was a part that was singing Yeshua HaMashiach, which in Hebrew, Yeshua or Yeshua, ha the Mashiach or Messiah in Arabic. See, it's very closely connected. It's Mashiach in Hebrew, Messiah in Arabic, Jesus the Messiah. And I was singing that and and all of a sudden, this man who was friendly the night before stood in front of me and confronted me. And he had an angry look on his face. And without pause, he looked at me and said, If he is the Messiah, why can't he bring us peace? You see, this man looks at Muhammad as the Messiah. He said, If Jesus that you're singing about is the Messiah, why can't he bring us peace? And I begin to share with him. I share with him, well, you gotta believe. I've got peace because I've made him my Messiah. But that didn't satisfy him. And so I begin to tell him, you don't understand. You're wanting peace from trouble. He even gives me peace in the midst of trouble. But he didn't want to hear that. And so the more I tried to witness, the more stern and argumentative he became. And finally, all of a sudden, I felt the quickening of the Holy Spirit. And I looked at him. And I talked about the big mosque there in Jerusalem and different worship places. And I said, there are holy places that you worship in in your faith, aren't there? Yes. And I said, and you worship at holy places, including you recognize the grave of Muhammad. And he just listened. And I said, but t- I tell you, I've been to both places where Jesus might have been buried here in Jerusalem. And the difference is, he isn't there. The tomb is empty. And that is the proof that Jesus is Lord. And when I said those words, he just bowed his head and stepped aside. And stepped aside. Because you can argue with a lot. But you cannot argue against the empty tomb. Jesus is Lord. But not only did he conquer death for himself. He conquered death for me. But the only way that I can have that life. Is if I come to him. And confess him. As Lord and Savior. There's nobody like Jesus. He is the one. He's not a way. He is the way. I'd like for you to bow your heads in this place today. And every eye closed. Can I tell you, coming to church on Easter Sunday is not enough. Romans chapter 10 tells us that we must confess with our mouth 
and believe in our heart. Now I want to go ahead and tell you, I'm not going to go to you and embarrass you tonight. Today, I'm not going to do anything. As much as Jesus loves you, you got to come just like I had to come. you got to confess just like everybody else that knows Jesus. But it's time to be honest with yourself. And I'm going to ask you a serious question. Nobody look around. I just want you to respond. How many of you ever had a loved one or a friend die? I want you to lift your hand. Somebody you know has died. Come on, everybody in this building. Well, guess what? That's what's going to happen to you. That's what's going to happen to me. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 9, it is appointed that a man wants to die. The thing about it is not one of us knows when we are. We all plan for a future, but sometimes we don't get there. Matter of fact, we're living on borrowed time right now. The only air that we breathe is borrowed air. And at any moment, our life could leave us this side of eternity. And we're going to stand before God. How many of you can save today? Not because you attend church, not because you're a good person, because that won't get you there. But you are born again. You're on your way to heaven because you have asked Jesus into your heart. You've turned your life to him. Without looking around, I want you to lift your hands. Just be honest. Thank you for being honest. Now I want you to lower your hands. Now listen to me. I thank God most of you here were able to lift your hands. But there were many, and I do appreciate your honesty. There were many of you that weren't able to lift your hand. And by not lifting your hand, here's what you were saying. You were saying, Pastor, I'm lost. I'm lost without God. And if I go into eternity the way I am, I'm going to face God without God. I'm hopeless. And whether you know it or not, you need Jesus. Now he paid the price. He's the one that went to the cross so you and I don't have to. He's the one that died. He's the one that shed his blood. But we got to call on him. If you were not able to lift your hands that you knew him, you can know him today. But you need to confess him. I'm going to ask you to do something that's real easy. Just get out of your seat and come here and let me lead you in a prayer. Repenting of your sins and turning to Jesus. And according to the word of God, you will be saved. I want every Christian praying. Come on now. Come now. You've already said, I'm lost, Pastor. I don't know God. Well, can I tell you, you're not promised tomorrow, neither am I. Why don't you make your calling an election? Sure. Come accept Jesus today. Come accept Jesus today. I want every Christian praying. Come on, you take one step, and every step thereafter is easier. It's a small price to pay. It's really no price at all. He's already paid the price for you. Why don't you come? I want every Christian praying. Every Christian praying. You're lost today. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. Nobody looking around. But if you're next to a friend or loved one, I want you to just get in their ear and say, are you ready to meet Jesus right now? 
If you're not, I'll go to the altar with you. Let me pray with you. Come on, Christians, do that to your brothers and your sisters, your husbands, your wives, your sons, and your daughters. Come on, don't make an assumption. Reach over and ask them. Honey, are you ready to meet God right now? Mama, you ready to meet God right now? Granny, you ready to meet God right now? Son, daughter, you ready to meet God right now? Let me go to the altar with you. And let me lead you to Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Come on. Come on. there are others in the house I want the choir to sing one more time as they do I want you to reach over to that loved one ask them like this one did you say that's embarrassing would you rather them go to hell would you rather them leave here lost that's a small price to pay would you rather them leave here not knowing God if they were drowning, wouldn't you throw out a lifeline? Well, they're drowning in sin. Throw out the lifeline today. Sing for us, choir. The Lord is waiting. The Lord is willing. One final breath He gave As heaven looked away the Son of God was laid in darkness. A battle in the grave. The war on death was waged. The power of hell forever broke. And the crowd began to shake. And the stone went thrown away. We sing hallelujah, we 
We love you. If you're not regularly involved in church and need to be here, we won't be having service tonight. We hope to see you Wednesday night. Next week we have full range of services. Would you bow your head and let's be dismissed. And Brother Josh Lane, would you dismiss us in prayer this morning? Lord, we thank you, God, for raising God on the third day. Lord, for rising on the third day for us, God. We we worship you, God. God, and we're so thankful you've allowed us to celebrate you this day, God. God, we thank you for those that gave their heart to the Lord this morning, God. We just worship you, God. We give you glory, God. We pray that you allow us to see many more days, God, and those get saved, Lord. We worship you. Meet back here with us, God, the next time we come to worship you, Lord. And this, we pray in your name. Amen.